Agriculture of America is brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around. Informing America's farmers and ranchers, this is AOA, produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Now, here's your host, Mike Pearson. Welcome to AOA, ladies and gentlemen. Thanks for making us a part of your day here on this Friday, April 29th. When the week returns, it will be May. We're flipping that calendar, getting deeper into the 2022 growing season. We're going to talk commodity market prices with Garrett Toy of Ag Trader Talk here in just a moment. And then in segment two, Randy Dickout, the Senior Vice President of Real Estate Operations at Farmers National, will join us. We're continuing to see a lot of enthusiasm out there by investors and farmers looking to secure farm ground. Randy's going to give us an update on that farmland market. And then in segment three, Bill Hoagland will be joining the show. He's a senior vice president of the Bipartisan Policy Center. He's a multiple generation Indiana corn and soybean farmer, and he has been analyzing the impact that food inflation could have on the broader fight from the Federal Reserve to rein in inflation rates more broadly. Really looking forward to that discussion with Bill later on in the program. And then at the end of the show, we're going to be talking with Norita Taylor from OIDA, the owner-operator independent drivers association. On Wednesday, the Federal Motor Carrier Safety Association announced a rule that would require speed limiters in semi-trucks. Currently, they're discussing 65 mile an hour, 68 and a half, and 70 miles an hour as proposed limited speeds on trucks. Norita is going to join us and share OIDA's perspective on this proposal. Before we jump into all of that, though, let's talk with Garrett here about these commodity markets, which are continuing to rally as Friday gets underway. Garrett, thanks for joining us today. Hey, good morning. Thanks for having me. Contract highs here in the corn market. Garrett, where is this all of this bullish sentiment coming from right now? Well, I mean, I'm not a I'm not the type of person to you know throw a, a big number out there. Um, but what I do like to is when we get to a certain level, kind of reevaluate the surroundings. And you know, here we are, eight dollar corn. Um, we've got you know, we've got less than ideal weather to start the spring planting season. But we, for as far as old crop corn is concerned, we're not really rationing anything. I mean, we we, we sold another million metric ton of corn to China this week. Uh, exports are good. Ethanol margins are fairly good. Uh, blend margins are good. You know, if we're rationing anything, it might be in the feed sector. But um, you know, I, I don't necessarily think we're rationing anything at this level. And if you look at the price changes on the week, um, I do think we've built some weather premium in here a little bit. You know, corn is up a quarter. Um, Beans are only up six cents. New crop beans are up 22 cents through the 7:45 break this morning, and now we're we're, we're firmer here this morning. Uh, but I think we've built some risk premium in here. I mean, I think we've got potentially next week's rains factored in. Um, the one thing I do notice is, you know, if this isn't, you know, planting progress hasn't necessarily been a complete washout. I mean, there's 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 planting going on in the western corn belt. Um, and, and because they've been you know extremely dry, they you know got some rains overnight, and that's that's a, a, a better a, a benefit. But you know they've had some decent progress over the last three four days. Central Illinois has got some progress to get further east. Things have slowed down. I personally up here in northwest Illinois, you know we're in this hole where it's 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 cool and wet, and I've only seen a couple planters run uh, this week, and and uh, it. You know, we're definitely not 10%, but we're you know maybe less than 5% down around here. There's just really haven't turned the wheel, and and there's a lot of anhydrous that still has to go on this spring. So that puts us another week away before we really get serious about anything. Yeah, these uh, this cold, wet weather is certainly starting to slow folks down. Garrett, as you think about those Chinese purchases we saw here over this past year, big buys from China. With the Brazil crop moving into maturity, do you think China's going to continue to make purchases from us long term? Well, I mean, it's... it's... I've heard some comments about you know, China and, and phytosanitary that China might be buying this corn to blend. China only has phytosanitary agreements with the U.S. and re Ukraine. And I think uh, there's a, c a couple interesting points. They bought 5 million metric ton, essentially, of old crop and new crop corn. The purchase yesterday was the first time that new crop purchases were bigger than the old crop purchases. But I think what China is telling us is that they basically see this Ukraine, any of their unshipped 
corn out of Ukraine is, is basically not going to happen. And, and as far as you know, phytosanitary is concerned, I mean, um, you know, there's there's going to be a reshuffling of the of the deck chairs here, where um, in the grand scheme of things, where you've got Brazilian corn going to EU and, and maybe some Argentine go, corn going to China, um, and then some swaps going around here or there. But um, you know, for the for the most part, I mean, I, I think that this is more of a uh, a lesson on Ukraine than it is on what the Brazilian crop is going to be, because they still have, I mean maybe another two or three, if they get up to six or seven million metric ton out of the U.S., that's basically a 100% replacement of what they had unshipped out of Ukraine once the war started. Okay. All right. Good to hear there from China. Uh, Garrett, this soybean oil market has been on fire this entire week with the news of Indonesia restricting palm oil exports. Today, it looks like it's taking a breather. Are we seeing profit taking today or, or have we reached kind of the extent of the legs for that market rally? Uh, I, think, I just think you're seeing profit-taking. I mean, that's another market that you really aren't seeing rationing in, even though we're at all-time highs. Uh, I mean, make, make, you know, trading 90 cents. I mean, we've never seen anything like this. So I think it's profit-taking perhaps to tell, um, you know, the relationship throughout the week was buying bean oil, selling meal. And then midweek, uh, we had a strong bean oil day, but, but meal pushed down into technical support, and I think it found some Indies are buying, and then we had a positive meal. And once that kind of happened where we pushed meal down far enough where we found some Indies are pricing, uh, that kind of brought some profit-taking uh, in the oil share, or at least a correction there, because uh, you know, we pushed meal cheap enough that we found some value in there. And now meal is up today here to close the week. Garrett, are we still at a value level if we've got some listeners that are looking to secure some some feed needs here as we get into the summer? Uh, it, it didn't get as cheap as what I would have liked to have seen. You know, I was hoping that maybe we could get some, you know, 400 or sub, you know, sub 400 type levels on, uh, you know, the front end got down to four and a quarter, 430, somewhere in there. Um, we didn't get it as cheap in there, you know, that I would have liked to have seen. Um, but uh, uh, you just kind of have to go where the market lets you here. I mean, maybe you want to advance some, some coverage here just because of, of the way the market's reacting. On whole bean pricing, new crop, Garrett, you getting any marketed yet, or are you still in a wait-and-see mode? I, I, I keep, you know, we had these prices, we had these prices in February, we haven't put the crop in the ground, here, here we are May 1st, um, and I, I think ultimately we haven't, uh, haven't really been too more aggressive on, on making sales, anything you do make have some options attached to it. But I do, I'm kind of concerned, um, you know, with the planting issues, whatnot. If there's any sort of growing issue this spring, I look at these spot weekly continuation charts, and we're up against these 2012 resistance levels. But the new crop, um, new crop values still have, you know, a lot more upside here relative to 2012 resistance levels. And I think that if we do have an issue developed this summer, kind of similar to what happened after the, that 331 stocks report, a lot of that link in the front end moved to December. And if we have uh, a lot of, have a problem developed this summer, uh, that fund money is going to move out to new, new crop corn and new crop beans, and uh, that's probably going to lead the market. That would be a lot of fuel on the fire. We've been talking to Garrett Toy of Ag Trader Talk. Garrett, thanks for joining us today. Thanks for having me. And stick around, ladies and gentlemen. Randy Dickout, Senior Vice President of Real Estate Operations at Farmers National, will join us when AOA returns. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around. Mike Rowe here with a gentle reminder that civilization is held together by pipes, wires, and cables. It's true. There are over 5 million miles of gas lines, power lines, fiber optic lines, water lines, and sewer lines all buried beneath your feet. And every 60 seconds, somebody digs into one. Look, if you're thinking about digging around, do yourself a favor and call 811 first just to find out what's down there. Trust me. You don't want to find out the hard way. Call or click 811 before you dig and visit safeexcavator.com for more info. Tough 5EC is a selective contact post-emergent herbicide that synergizes HPPD inhibitors and enhances the effect of atrazine. Tough 5EC works fast and can significantly improve the control of weeds such as water hemp, palmer, and kochia today and help prevent the selection of herbicide resistance tomorrow. Tough 5EC is in stock and ready to ship. 
Ask your local retailer about Tough 5 EC or visit BelgiumUSA.com. Always read and follow label instructions. I drive my bus in a busy city. That's why road safety is so important to me. I know that I must slow down and be extra careful when I make a wide turn. Buses need more room than cars. Everyone can help keep our roads safe. Next time you're driving, remember to give buses plenty of time and space to finish turning before driving ahead. Let's all plan to share the road safely. Learn how at www.sharetheroadsafely.gov. Most folks just stick with the diesel engine oil they know, because why sweat the details? But you don't. You're one of those who'd make the switch, and we're talking to you. Cenex Maxtron Synthetic Diesel Engine Oils give you the smartest oil for the toughest conditions. While the others experience wear and tear, you give complacency a kick in the pants. Cenex Maxtron Diesel Engine Oils. Oil that runs smart. 54. So, basically, it's too late to start saving for retirement, right? Not right. Starting to save, even in your 50s, can really make a difference. Well, right now, saving seems hard to wrap my head around. Plus, with the way this year's been going... (laughs) Hey, listen. It's okay. You still got this. Just go to aceyourretirement.org. It's an online tool from AARP that can help you get your retirement savings on track no matter your age. It's free and only takes about three minutes. I like three minutes. Yeah. At aceyourretirement.org, you'll chat with Avo, the friendly digital retirement coach. Just answer a few questions and you'll get a personalized plan and tips to help boost your retirement savings. Tips that are easy to understand and tailored to your lifestyle. I like that too. Plus, it's sponsored by AARP, so you know they got your back. Just head to aceyourretirement.org and make your plan to start saving for retirement. Thanks. That's aceyourretirement.org. A message from AARP and the Ad Council. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around. Information farmers and ranchers need to know. AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. Welcome back to AOA, ladies and gentlemen. We are, of course, across the Corn Belt gearing up for planting season, which is a time that a lot of farmers will be getting back in their tractors and be focusing on their operation. They won't maybe have the time to get out to farmland auctions quite as much as they have been over the past six months. That might provide a little bit of a breather to realtors and auctioneers who work in the farmland space. It has been a wild ride in that industry over the past year. Joining me today to talk about the land market is Randy Dickhoot. He's the Senior Vice President of Real Estate Operations at Farmers National Company. Randy, thanks for taking the time to talk with us today. Glad to, Mike. Appreciate it. You know, let's talk about values first and foremost. 2021 saw a tremendous run-up in farmland values across the country, but particularly in the heart of the Corn Belt. Randy, 2022, first quarters in the rearview mirror. How have farmland values hung in there as we've started 2022? I think with the events that happened around the world, especially with Ukraine and looking at, you know, kind of our delay in the planting season and all the uncertainties here, uh, land values took another good-sized jump um, in in the corn belt or in the grain belt, as I call it, uh, in the first three months of 2022, uh, 2022, and probably around 20% for good cropland, uh, another increase in a lot of places. That is something else. 20% on top of, well, elevated prices of 2021. Randy, as you assess the grain belt as a whole, where are you seeing the hottest spots for the farmland market? Well, really, like last fall, centered in Iowa. Uh, The number of auctions that were held, that we held as a company, had really increased those last three, four months of 21. Um, had good activity in 22 uh, there also, but we saw some really strong sale prices in Illinois, but North Dakota, South Dakota, elsewhere. I mean, anywhere there's good cropland, and it's kind of relative. You get to the Western Plains, dryland, wheat country, uh, those prices were up too. You know, it's not as dramatic just because of a different price level. But in Illinois, we had, um, you know, over that span of time, earlier in that uh, winter sales season, we saw some good eastern Illinois land sell for 
19,000 to, uh, I think it was 20,500. Uh, later, um, in March, we sold central Illinois land for uh, 21,500 an acre. And we saw yeah, western Indiana sell for 16600 per acre. So that's where I think the 20% jump has really shown up. Yeah, that is. Uh, those figures are just staggering when you talk about them on a per acre basis. Randy, as you think about the buyers who are stepping into this market at these price levels, are you still finding that farmers are a lot of the folks taking ownership here of these parcels? Or are you also seeing investors move into the farmland space in a bigger way? Farmers are still predominantly uh, the bigger share of buyers of this land. Um, you know, farmers have an economic and emotional reason to you know push the bidding up for that farm next to them that comes up for sale once every three or four generations. They don't have a lot of the opportunity to add that acreage close to their home or it fits into their whole operation. So they're really stepping up, and I think they're buoyed by the uh, commodity prices uh, they're challenged by input prices of course but the commodity prices drive that income outlook for for land and you know the current picture looks very good uh, right now for that our individual investors are stepping in maybe has some 1031 exchange money or they really want to diversify and then you know institutional investment is going on but that's usually not at auctions or in the open market, those are usually quiet sales that are probably under the market if they're buying. That's good to know. That is interesting. Randy, you mentioned the auction market has been hot for the past, well, six months to a year now. It's been really on fire. As you think about total acres moved, either through private treaty or through auctions, in the past, when we've seen elevated farmland prices, we've seen it because the market has been tight. There's been very little supply coming to the table. In 2022, is that different? Are we seeing more acres change hands? We we saw in 2021 more acres were sold, and a lot of that, you know, really happened the last part of the year because of those high prices really got some people to thinking. And those sellers are typically the estates, recent inheritors, or families that have inherited, you know, the farmland. They don't farm it themselves, and because of the size of the family group and different financial needs, they end up deciding to keep it or sell it and with the high prices few more decided to sell yes there's there's more land on the market uh, there was backed off a little bit in the first three months of the year but there was still good activity and i think there will be rest of the year again just mainly because those people who might think about selling are seeing these high prices and even though they may not know what they're going to do and invest their money right now they may want to take advantage of those uh, high land prices and, and liquidate that that farm asset. Yeah, I've got to imagine if I'm a if I'm a non farming era trust participant that I'm seeing you know the neighbor's ground bring sixteen, eighteen, nineteen thousand dollars an acre. That's the kind of headline that would catch my eye, and. Randy, I'm wondering, as the number of acres changing hands has grown, are most sellers in this environment choosing an auction, or are you still seeing uh, uh, land sellers go the private treaty route? Well, during the slower times of like post the previous high in 2013-14, you know, more land ended up going to private treaty listings. Auctions were not as competitive and stuff because farmers weren't stepping in, investors weren't quite as interested. But there was still, you know, low supply, demand was good uh, overall or strong enough that prices kind of plateaued. This run up uh, definitely switched back to more auctions. Um, if you want to know what a farm will sell for, uh, needs to be sold through some type of competitive bidding process, whether that's strictly an online auction only, simulcast auction online, and and uh, public or just public auctions. So there's there's multiple ways, but you know that's the only way to know if those local neighbors or outside individuals or local individuals uh, what they pay for it. 
Yeah, if you want to figure out who wants it the most, see who's willing to write the biggest check. Randy, we are thinking a lot about inflation in this environment. We're hearing the Federal Reserve talk about many more interest rate hikes as we go throughout this year. From your perspective, looking at the farmland business, does uh, does this next year's rise in rates have you concerned about prices moving forward, or do you think the market can bear some higher costs? With the interest rate, um, increases that uh, we, we definitely think are ahead of us. That will put some challenge into uh, some buyers. You know, there are cash buyers. Uh, it won't make any difference. Uh, but for, you know, the, the number who are getting, you know, some type of loan on it, it does add to the cost, it, absolutely. Just like, you know, home buyers and stuff. You figure out what you can pay. Uh, the income, again, current and the next year or so income outlook, again, despite the challenges of input prices, look pretty strong. You know, all depends on what happens with all the world events and stuff. Um, so I think the interest rates going up will put some challenge in it, but I think the concern about inflation that's in the general public and investors' minds have them turning to farmland as investment because typically a real estate investment is a good um, uh, hedge against inflation and farmland is especially good at that. And so I know uh, talking with investors, one of the reasons they're looking right now is uh, as an inflation hedge. Yeah, I am hearing that from a lot of folks that they're looking at pricing into this wild market. Randy, I know you write a blog weekly that uh, contains some updates and some insights here on the farmland markets. Where can our listeners go to read that? Where can they go to keep up with uh, the work you're doing in this space? You can go to our website. Uh, starts there. You can then get on uh, the email list, but it's uh, farmersnational.com farmersnational.com folks we've been talking to randy dickhoot he is the senior vice president of real estate operations there at farmers national company and randy thank you so much for taking the time to talk with us today thank you mike and uh, have a good day you do the same and folks stick with us we've got a lot more to come here on aoa as the day wears on we'll be talking to bill hoagland here in the next segment bill is an indiana farmer he is currently the senior vice president at the bipartisan policy center and he's going to be talking about how this current battle against inflation we've mentioned it there with randy and the resulting interest rate hikes what challenges we could face and whether or not it's going to look like the 1980s so stay with us here on aoa We'll return after this. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Maxtron Synthetic Diesel Engine Oils. Oils that run smart. every Tuesday for Around the Table, brought to you by CHS, where we take a close look at the benefits of cooperative ownership. Each week, we'll host a new guest and discuss how you can get the most from working with your local cooperative. And we'll learn why farmers and ranchers just like you choose cooperatives to help them persevere and prosper. Tune in each Tuesday or visit cooperativeownership.com to learn more. The landscape of media has changed and people are more skeptical than ever about where they get their news and information. While major news outlets show decreasing credibility, your local farm radio station still shows strong marks. In a recent survey, farmers rated information from their farm broadcasters as almost twice as reliable as major news outlets. Farm radio continues to be transparent, honest, and trustworthy. This message brought to you by the National Association of Farm Broadcasting. You're listening to AOA for the American Ag Network. I'm Jesse Allen reporting. Well, corded soybeans are trading their way higher with beans leading here so far on this Friday morning while we see the wheat markets under some pressure here. U.S. dollar index pulling back for Thursday's 19-year high. It's a trade near 103.2, still very high. Yields on 10-year treasuries trade near 2.91%. Crude oil prices roughly 1% higher this morning, around $1.26 a barrel higher at 106.62. 
Now, as we watch these markets here, we're watching a lot of different news stories that have played out here this week. And the bottom line is that uh, we're seeing tight global supplies. Great and oil seed traders continue to climb the wall of worry regarding supply and demand fundamentals, albeit with signs of consolidation as we prepare to close out the week and the trading month. End of the month trade often leads to some erratic movement, which uh, the algorithm traders may get a hold of to add to the volatility at some point here today. We'll have to see weather, of course, becoming a bigger story in the U.S. as we're getting many planting delays across the Corn Belt. As we take a look at some numbers right now, May quarter up four and three quarters at 820 and three quarters. December up a quarter penny, 752. May soybeans up 13 and a half, 1720. November up nine and a quarter, 1530 and a quarter. Bean meal for July up 750 a ton, 430, 760. July bean oil down 131 points, 8529. July Chicago wheat 18 lower, 1067 and three quarters. July Kansas City winter wheat 25 and a half lower, 1115 to three quarters. July spring wheat down 15 and a half at 1176. Live cattle for April up 105, 139.55. June down 75, 133.15. Feeder cattle for May 40 higher, 158.35. August down 70, 169.70. May hogs 230 lower, 101.67. This is AOA. I'm Jesse Allen reporting. You are not your diagnosis. A medical chart is not your identity. And vision loss does not define you. Your drive shows who you are. And you are not alone. Because we are driven too. To be a beacon of strength. A champion of courage. An advocate for hope. You are not alone. Because we are stronger together. We drive the research for the cures we are finding. We're fighting macular degeneration, retinitis pigmentosa, Usher syndrome, and the entire spectrum of blinding retinal diseases. We fund. We fight. We, we win. We, 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 we are, are the, the foundation, foundation fighting, fighting blindness. blindness. Together, we are fighting blindness. Join the fight at fightingblindness.org. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around. Keeping America's farmers and ranchers informed on AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. Welcome back to AOA, ladies and gentlemen. Thanks for taking the time to tune in to the show today. I certainly appreciate it. You know, Mark Twain is reported to have said, history doesn't repeat itself, but it often rhymes. As we look around at the economic situation confronting the country and the globe today, one of the areas in which a lot of economic prognosticators are looking for ways we can make this current period rhyme with history, they're looking back at the 1980s and the battle against inflation waged by Fed Chair Paul Volcker. And that's got folks wondering just how much is this current period going to look like the 1980s? Well, one man who has been researching this and recently wrote a piece in thehill.com is Bill Hoagland. He's a senior vice president at the Bipartisan Policy Center. He is an Indiana corn and soybean farmer on a multi-generational operation, and he is the former administrator of the USDA Food and Nutrition Service. Bill, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you very much for inviting me, Mike. Appreciate having the opportunity. Well, let's think about this current period versus the 1980s. Bill, we're seeing inflation move really at, at pace we haven't seen since 1982, but there are a few ways in which this is different. How is general inflation in 2022 different than the general inflation that was confronted in the early 1980s? Well, of course, in the 1970s and late 80s, inflation was well up there into the 11% in 1979 and top 13% overall inflation uh, in uh, at that time. Uh, right now, of course, inflation is uh, running around about 8% uh, versus where we were back in the late uh, 1970s and early 1980s. 
Um, a major factor, of course, during that period of time was energy prices, was a, a supply issue there also that was driving up. Uh, but also we had uh, uh, the Federal Reserve, as you mentioned, Mike, uh, Chairman Volcker, uh, raised the uh, federal funds rate, which was averaging about 11.2% in 1979. Uh, he raised it to a peak of around 20% by June of 1981. Uh, uh, the prime rate was around about 21, 22% in 1981. So, so it's much, um, there are similarities, but the federal, the, uh, uh, federal funds rate is, of course, nowhere near what what it was back then, but Volcker was very insistent on squeezing out, which was very high inflation. Um, uh, we don't have, we, we're not quite at the same levels back then, but we have the same, as you said, uh, history rhymes a little bit here. We will expect, I expect that the uh, uh, Chairman Powell uh, next week and uh, the Federal Reserve will begin as they have pretty well telegraphed, I think fairly clearly, that they are going to increase the uh, federal funds rate. Um, uh, maybe a half percentage point, but more importantly, uh, that's not—that's just the start. We expect, and, and the uh, futures uh, funds markets are pricing in three quarters uh, a point hike in June and another half point in July. So we're headed back up into uh, uh, the federal fund rate reaching close to two, two and a half, maybe three percent by the end of the year. Um, again, and not quite Bill, the that same as it was. Yeah, and, and that 3% potential by the end of the year, if the Fed does raise it, all of their targeted raises as we're going throughout 2022, that's still going to be well below the rate of inflation, at least that we're experiencing right now. If, if the Fed funds rate is only at 3%, say, is that going to be enough to put a dent in inflation? Well, I think that's the big question. And I, uh, I uh, remain, I think a number of people remain skeptical that that's going to be enough. Uh, at the same time, what, uh, of course, the chairman is, uh, Chairman Powell is trying to do is, uh, is to bring down the level of inflation, but at the same time, not tip us over into uh, a recession. What's a, as we, as we all know, a soft landing uh, going forward. But uh, I think this is a real delicate balancing act here. Uh, the piece I wrote in the Hill was really focused on one aspect of this, which was to make it clear that there are certain things the Fed can do as it relates to kind of a hammer here with the federal, with the with what they can do with interest rates, and that is to um, stem uh, demand. Um, but my problem right now is that um, focusing on food price inflation, which I am concerned about, um, I see I don't see that uh, this is going to um, increasing these interest rates is going to necessarily have an impact upon, uh, as I like to, uh, as I said in the article, it's not going to change the gestation period for uh, piglets uh, 118 days and then another six or five or six months before we bring them to market. Uh, there's nothing they can do about, uh, interest rates can do about that, uh, that nor the weather or the, as we, as your, as I heard in your report here just a few minutes ago, uh, the delay in planning out in, in, the, in the Midwest. So all this is going to still have, I think, at least on food price inflation, is still going to be um, very, very uh, uncomfortable throughout the remainder of this year and not, and not be impacted by the uh, increasing these interest rates to, to bring down uh, the overall inflation of 8% or so. Yeah, and I'm really glad you mentioned that. And and that was the crux of your piece there in the Hill, that the Fed may lack the tools to tame food prices. Folks, that's the headline. You can find it, and I will retweet it on the AOA Twitter feed later on today. One of the things that was different today versus the 80s is in the 80s, we were sitting in the ag community on a massive stockpile of, of nearly everything we grew. We had an abundance of supply. Right. This time, that's different, Bill. We don't have that. Could it be that these rate hikes coming from the Fed would actually increase food inflation? Well, uh, quite frankly, I would say that, uh, uh, yes, I think there's a possibility um, that it could. Um, obviously, we did not have, a, we'd come off Vietnam in the 1970s, the late 70s. We have a situation there, of course, it's uh, terrible in the Ukraine. And uh, they're a major supplier, of course. And the big one that I focus on is uh, potash. Uh, um, uh, Russia and Belarus account for 40% of the global potash exports in this country. 
Uh, and of course, I need not tell the farmers and the producers out there in the Midwest that, that that's a major element of our fertilizers. And those prices have increased 103%. So I, I, increasing inflation again, or increasing the interest rates is not going to necessarily change that supply. And um, there are other factors here that uh, may drive up, uh, those in interest rates will drive up the cost of, of borrowing, uh, may cost the, increase the cost of taking out a loan. Um, all those are going to eventually have worked through the system. And uh, again, I, I don't think it's necessarily going to be have any impact in the near term on reducing those uh, um, food, food prices that are people are experiencing right now, levels that were similar now to what they were back in the 19, late 1980s or 1970s um, at around 8% or so. And Bill, I'm curious, anytime we're talking federal policy, of course, we're also bringing politics into the equation. I know you have spent a lot of time in Washington, D.C., both as a Senate staffer and at the USDA. Food prices can be intensely political. Could it be that raising food prices might derail the Fed's entire plan for hiking rates? Or I guess what other concerns do you have as we look out to the summer? Well, that's a very good question, Mike. I uh... You know, the focus seems to be more on energy and the gas uh, pump. Um, and in, quite frankly, I could make the argument, though I'm, some people I'm sure on listening in will not agree with me on this, but uh, the president, the, the administration's decision, and I'm not being critical but the, about their decision, but their decision to have a, with bringing more ethanol into the, the gasoline will certainly uh, maybe benefit the uh, uh filling up your tank a little bit and lowering some of those energy costs, it will not, from my perspective long-term, um, help in terms of reducing uh, food prices because it'll drive up, uh, eventually it should drive up the cost of uh, 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 corn. And long story short, I, I just see that uh, this is a, there are so many um, unintended consequences of whatever policies uh, both the administration or Congress puts in place. But right now, the focus, I, I think the focus here is more on energy than it is on food prices. And that's what's the reason why I made, I made the argument that you've got to be spoken. Now, we do have a farm bill that's coming up next year. It will be a, a trillion-dollar farm bill. Um, interesting, of course, though, about uh, well over 80% of that farm bill has uh, is just associated with the, the food nutrition uh, title, um, uh, SNAP, uh, food stamps, child, uh, and, and the various nutrition programs. So uh, the real focus, I think, is going to come next year on uh, those kinds of programs. That's where uh, where Congress's policy attention will turn to food and food prices and its impact upon uh, the farm bill as it feeds through the nutrition title of that bill. Bill, before we let you go, thinking a little bit more broadly about interest rates as a whole, do you anticipate rates climbing 5% plus on the Fed funds rate in order to battle this inflation? <laughs> if I could answer that question with any accuracy, I'd be happy to. I, I think it's clear <laughs> that the interest rates are going to go up. Uh, I don't think there's any question about it. Your point is well taken that even at even if we got to 3%, that would still be below uh, the rate of inflation that's out there. Uh, I think a lot of this is so dependent upon these factors uh, that, uh, may, that that are out a little bit outside the control of the Fed, and that, of course, has to do with the events going on, on with the Ukraine and Russia, uh, the weather. Uh, long story short, uh, I don't think we're going to get to 5%, but we're certainly going to be up in the 3 3 4%. All right. Interest rates rising, folks. We've been talking to Bill Hoagland, the Senior Vice President at the Bipartisan Policy Center. Bill, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you, Mike. And folks, stick with us. We're going to talk the Federal Motor Carrier Safety Association's proposed in, uh, insertion of speed limiters in semis. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around. I'll take dig a little, learn a lot for 30 bushels. Soft and crumbly. Tom. How does healthy soil feel to the touch? Correct. Dig a little for 40 bushels. Sweet and earthy. 
Tom. What does healthy soil smell like? Yes, go again. Dig a little for 50 bushels. Dark, porous, and alive. Tom. What does healthy soil look like? You win. Understanding the basics and benefits of healthy soil can make your farm a winner, too, through lower input costs, better yields, and drought protection, which can lead to a healthier bottom line for your business. Contact your local Natural Resources Conservation Service office today to find out how you can unlock the secrets in your soil. This message brought to you by USDA's Natural Resources Conservation Service and this radio station. As an organ donor, your story doesn't have to end. The good in you can live on. In fact, you could save up to eight lives with your gifts. Your heart could keep beating. Your kidneys could keep filtering. And your intestines could keep on digesting for others. And that's not all. You can improve the lives of 50 more people as an eye and tissue donor, restoring sight and health. And you're not just helping out the person receiving the transplant. You're touching whole families with your life-saving gift. Register in minutes. Just go to organdonor.gov. You'll be happy you did. And just maybe, someone else will be happy too. Sign up today. Go to organdonor.gov. It saves lives. U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, Health Resources and Services Administration. Okay, need a little more. Too much, little less, just about got it. And that's what it's like figuring out nitrogen. But with my field nurture from FS, your crop specialist can help with expertise and a vast array of tools to manage nitrogen all season. You'll get a plan for the right source at the right rates at the right times and in the right place to maximize ROI. So talk with your FS crop specialist to learn more about my field nurture. Right there, perfect. When it comes to your 2022 seed decisions, don't step over the line. Buy new, professionally produced seed from authorized seed companies and dealers. The Seed Innovation and Protection Alliance membership of 100 companies invest 15% of their sales into product research and development that can take 7 to 16 years, with total costs ranging from $1 million to $140 million for new genetics and or traits. SEPA thanks farmers for buying new seed that not only maximizes yield potential, but also funds the next great seed innovations for U.S. farmers. To anonymously report a seed infringement, call 1-844-SEED-TIP. If you're not filling with Cenex Premium Diesel, then you're not giving your fuel system the premium treatment. Cenex Roadmaster XL comes with a more complete additive package for a more complete burn, while restoring your power by up to 4.5% and your fuel economy by up to 5%. Typical number 2 diesel? I guess it covers the basics. Cenex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around. Soil, the final frontier. These are the voyages of the Soil Ship Enterprise to explore soil life, to boldly grow where cover crops have never grown before. Farmer's Log, soil date 31655.4. We've come across some strange but incredibly helpful life forms. We didn't have to travel far to find them, but these organisms have proven invaluable on our trip through the solar system. They help feed us by nourishing and protecting our crops. They've built our soil structure to make it more resilient to the harsh weather we encounter. Our sensors indicate they're even helping us store carbon that plants take out of the atmosphere and put it back into the soil. Guess you can say our living and life-giving soil is the best thing to cling on to. Um, sorry. <clears throat> That's soil fleet humor. <laughs> Visit your local USDA Natural Resources Conservation Service office today and learn more about the basics and benefits of soil health. This message brought to you by USDA and this radio station. Tough 5 ec is a selective contact post-emergent herbicide that synergizes HPPD inhibitors and enhances the effect of atrazine. Tough 5EC works fast and can significantly improve the control of weeds such as water hemp, palmer, and kochia today and help prevent the selection of herbicide resistance tomorrow. Tough 5EC is in stock and ready to ship. Ask your local retailer about Tough 5EC or visit BelgiumUSA.com. Always read and follow label instructions. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around.
keeping America's farmers and ranchers informed on AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. Welcome back to AOA, ladies and gentlemen. Thanks so much for tuning in to today's show. Looking at issues that impact the ag community, one that's vital, not just to agriculture, but in fact, to the entire economy as a whole, is the efficiency of the truck fleet in this country. We have been talking about this for the past two years. Truckers have been working hard through the pandemic, struggling to keep up with the massive surge in demand from American consumers. And they've been celebrated rightfully so by the work that uh, the trucking industry has been able to complete. However, the Federal Motor Carrier Safety Administration on Wednesday issued a new rule that critics are alleging could make the trucking industry less safe. Joining me today to talk about it from the Owner Operator Independent Drivers Association, we're speaking with Norita Taylor. Norita, thanks for joining us today. Hey, it's my pleasure. Thanks for having us on there. Let's talk about what the FMCSA released on Wednesday. Norita, they're saying they want to limit the speed of trucks. What did they propose? Sure. So basically, this is not new. This is something that has been proposed before. And right now, it is in a uh, more of a proposal stage. There's nothing final. But basically, they want to speed limit commercial trucks. And this is something that goes back. There's been several attempts to uh, get something like this proposed. And this, this particular one is called a supplemental notice of proposed rulemaking, which is kind of like a informational gathering phase of the rulemaking process. Okay, so this is the time that really all the stakeholders can get involved and share how they believe this proposed rule would impact them. Is that right? Yes, there will be a 30-day comment period, and so it's really easy to do, and we will have this published on our website with the docket, and all you do is um, type in your comment and um, you know, share with the agency what this would do to your business, how this would affect you, um, concerns about safety. So yes, it will be a comment period that everyone has the opportunity to participate in. And I know that OIDA will be issuing some comments. The foundation has been doing a lot of work on what a limiter would do to trucking. And Norita, what have you found? What does OIDA think about this rule? Sure. So we have historically opposed any mandate to speed limit trucks, and we will continue to oppose any such a proposal. And our our general um, argument is that it will not make highways safer. You know, this goes back to what we all learned in driver's education or what we we learned as um, sharers of the highways that everything is a lot safer if vehicles are all going the same relative speed. If everybody is going the same relative speed, that um, lessens the chance of running into each other. But when you artificially um, force the largest vehicles on the road to go slower than the speed of traffic, you increase the interactions and the likelihood of a collision, which is going to make things less safe. Absolutely. And in the proposal, or at least that I have seen, some of the limited speed uh, uh, proposals that they're searching for would be 68, 65, maybe 70 miles an hour. Norita, those are well below the posted speed limits in a lot of states out there. That just doesn't seem like they've thought this through all the way. No. As a matter of fact, you're right. In 2016, they had thrown out the possibilities of 60 or 65 or 68. It's like, you know, they don't really know what would be safer. They're just um, seeing what people's reactions are, I guess. And they acknowledge that interaction, you know, increased interactions would possibly increase crashes, but their contention is that by slowing down trucks those few miles, that the crashes would be less severe. Or what I'd like to say is, okay, so we're going to have highway bumper cars, but a more gentle version? I mean, I don't think that this makes sense, and I, and I hope your listeners will reach out to uh, the agency and express their concerns about safety for the highways. 
Yes, indeed, especially since truckers are, you know, some of the most put upon folks on the roads already. I was traveling yesterday. I had a trucker behind me in the left lane passing another semi trying to get far enough ahead that he could safely scoot back into the right lane and a pickup flew around him passed on the right window, you know, hand out the window with a, a gesture going on. It, it just doesn't seem like it makes a lot of sense. Now, Norita, would this apply to all trucks that are commercial licensed? Is that what they're going for? Yes, it would be all trucks of uh, over the weight of 26,001 pounds or more equipped with an electric engine control unit capable of being governed. You know, a lot of trucks uh, manufactured after a certain year have the capability of being speed limited. It's just a matter of turning it off or on. Okay. Now, when would this proposed rule go into effect? I guess, what's the next step after this 30-day comment period? Well, it's it's the good news is that it's a long way out from, from it being something that you have to up and do already being implemented. This, Like I said, this is an informational gathering stage, but it's still important that people get in the habit of weighing in, get in the habit of um, making their concerns known. Anything that you can say is helpful at this stage. It certainly is. It's a reminder, folks, we don't get to vote for the people at the FMCSA or a lot of these administrative bodies. The way we communicate with them is through this process. And Norita, for listeners who want to get involved in this issue, they're concerned about what this might do for safety on the roadways. How can they get in touch with OIDA? How can they keep up on the, the research that you folks have done on this issue? You know what? The simplest thing to do is go to our advocacy website, which is fightingfortruckers.com. And from there, you can not only find information about this issue, but you can also find information about contacting your lawmakers, your elected officials, about any type of concerns you have on a variety of trucking issues. Well, we certainly appreciate the work you're doing, Narita. Thanks for bringing us up to speed on this speed limiter issue, folks. We've got 30 days to make our comments known, and we'll be posting that link on our Twitter. Narita, thanks for joining us today. You bet anytime, and thank you so much. And folks, tune in to AOA on Monday. We'll be talking weather with John Baranek and policy with Jackie Fatka of Farm Progress. Have a great weekend, everyone. We look forward to seeing you again right here on Monday for AOA. Take care. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Maxtron Synthetic Diesel Engine Oils. Oils that run smart. Okay, gotta be late. Gotta go, gotta go. Where'd I put... Ah, wallet. Check. And... Oh, phone. Uh, check. Keys. Check. Lunch. Check. Checking for the things you need doesn't take long. But what about checking for your safety? Right now, one in every five vehicles on the road has an open safety recall. But it only takes seconds to check for open recalls on your car at checktoprotect.org. All you need is your vehicle identification number or license plate number. Your automaker may not have the right information to notify you about recalls by mail, especially if you recently moved or drive an older or used car. Checktoprotect.org is the quick, easy way to find out if your vehicle has an open safety recall and find the closest dealer who can make the repair for free. Oh, oh, laptop. Check. Before you go, take a minute. Visit Checktoprotect.org. Check to Protect is a program of the National Safety Council.